Hello, my friends. I want to tell you about a small victory that we got that's now officially official. Three more liberal cabinet ministers have been ordered by the federal court to permanently unblock us on Twitter and to pay us a, a sum for our legal fees. It's a great little story. I'll tell you about that and a few related things. That's today's show. But before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. And it's eight bucks a month. You go to rebelnewsplus.com. You get all the video side of it. But you also get the satisfaction knowing that Rebel News is strong because of you. Because we don't get any money from the government. We don't get any money from YouTube. It's really just you. Please go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a small but meaningful legal victory over three liberal cabinet ministers. It's February 6th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I've hinted at this over the last two weeks, but I actually haven't formally announced it. So please... Consider this official news. Three more liberal cabinet ministers have just been ordered by the federal court to unblock rebel news journalists on Twitter. And they've also been ordered to pay a portion of our legal costs. Here, take a look at the court order for yourself. As you can see at the top, it's an order from the Federal Court of Canada. These cabinet ministers are lawbreakers and the federal court has ordered them to stop breaking the law. And as you can see, the lawsuit was filed by Rebel News and by three of our journalists, myself, our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, and our head of social media, Yankee Pollock. That's because the liberal government specifically targeted the three of us. And look at who we sued. The government of Canada itself, the three cabinet ministers who thought they could use public resources to bully and silence their political enemies. What a bunch of idiots, seriously. Look, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge when a liberal cabinet minister is actually smart, I mean, don't press me to name one right now because I'm actually thinking about it would have a tough time calling one really smart. They're usually chosen for diversity purposes or as political favors, but I am willing to acknowledge that they're not all stupid. But seriously, after we had already gone to court and got a court order against Stephen Kilbo for this exact same thing, how dumb do you have to be to say a federal court has just said that's illegal and my colleague Stephen Gilbo was just humiliated and was ordered to pay costs to Rebel News, signed me up to do the same thing? The three lawbreakers are all cabinet ministers. Yara Sachs, who is the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. So she's one of the politicians in charge of extending government-assisted suicide to people who are merely depressed. Seriously, that's her big contribution to Canadian life. Not to make life better or healthier, but to make more death. If you're depressed... Sachs has a prescription for you. Kill yourself, and she'll help. She's best known, though, for her shining moment of public service when she stood up in Parliament and ranted a bit about the trucker convoy. Remember this? How much vitriol do we have to see of Honk Honk, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? I'm so embarrassed to say that she is my own member of Parliament but I'm pretty sure she's going to be smashed into a million pieces by Roman Baber, the 
conservative who was running against her. He's sort of the opposite of Sachs. He's pretty smart. Here's a flashback of him when he stood on principle against Doug Ford's pandemic lockdowns when he was a member of the provincial parliament. Speaker, like the saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's the holiday season, but Ontarians get fooled again because the government is about to steal Christmas. For more than a year, they were telling us that vaccination is the best and sure way out of the pandemic. But now 90% of us are vaccinated, but we're still on the naughty list and public health won't leave us alone. Three health units are already back in restrictions. Windsor-Essex and Sudbury are back in restrictions. Kingston FLA, with over 92% first dosed, one of the highest rates in the world, brought restrictions back. Of course, the government pretends that it has nothing to do with it. It's the local health units, sure. Speaker, 90% of us are vaccinated. If we trust the science and the vaccine is safe and effective, then why the masks, why the testing, the tracing, the isolation, the apps on our phones? Of course, yesterday, Pfizer said that we need a fourth shot against the Omicron variant. Don't act surprised. Speaker, almost all of us are vaccinated. Those that are unvaccinated, nothing can be done. It's their choice, and almost all of them, given their age and profile, are highly unlikely to experience a bad outcome. The best thing the government can do for Christmas is to leave us alone. Remember the Britney Spears video? It's, it's back in the news. The leave Britney alone. Leave Ontarians alone. Leave us alone. It's the best thing you can do for our health. So you've got that rocket surgeon, Yara Sachs, and you've got Marcy Ian who for years read the teleprompter at CTV News, so that's actually good training to be a Trudeau cabinet minister. Just read the lines that someone else wrote for you. She's the Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Youth. You know, my, my favorite thing about Marcy Ian is that she gave her children reindeer names. She called her children Blaze and Dash. I'm not kidding. Now, I have an unusual name, too, so good luck to them. I actually enjoyed having an unusual name, and I'm sure... Once the teasing stops, Blaze and Dash will be really cool names to have. But Marcy Ian says she talks to other people's minor children, too. She talks to other people's children about their sexual thoughts. The names thing is sort of cute, but I think talking to other people's kids about sex is, is actually really creepy. Here she is just the other day reacting to Danielle Smith's proposals about transgenders. And listen to what she says. Randy, both Randy and I spent last night and into this morning, consoling kids, talking to advocates, and then saying, we will make sure and go back to our cabinet colleagues that everything is on the table, anything that we can do, but the consultation with community, and this will be happening across the country, uh, I mean, it has been happening, but I'm going to be heading on the road and bringing forward, you know, the opinions and the life experiences of those this impacts. So what I wouldn't do is put out a statement without proper consultation and othering people before, you know, I, I want to say blowing up people's lives. There are kids, as, as Minister Boisenau said, who woke up this morning and went, am I even safe? What do I do? What can we do? So it's hearing those voices and going back to the table that we sit at and doing whatever we can. But first, it's listening, consulting, understanding what community wants, because this is grassroots. And as, as Randy mentioned, yes, allies too, because first it's the queer community, and then whose rights come after that? 
right? Who, who next? Now, I actually think she's lying there. I really have trouble believing that any teenager in Alberta actually even knows who Marcy Ian is, let alone thinks, this is someone I'm going to call to talk about a personal question with, like, why would you call a member of parliament from Toronto? I, I don't believe it, but let's take it at face value as if she tells the truth. What the hell is she doing? Staying up late at night, talking to other people's children about their sexuality? What a creepy perv. Yeah, so she's one of the three uh, cabinet ministers we sued. And the last is the biggest loser of all, Karina Gould. You'll remember she's the one who posed for selfies with the Nazis SS officer Yaroslav Hanka and then gave him a standing ovation. Then Gould led the charge to scapegoat the Speaker of the House. Back then he was called Anthony Rota. She blamed the whole thing on him and demanded that he resign, which he loyally did. But last week on Friday, Rebel News broke the story that, in fact, it was the prime minister, not Anthony Rota, who invited Hunka. This is the access to information document that showed it was Trudeau's office, not Rota, who invited the Nazi. Trudeau lied about it, of course, and he made Rota lie about it to protect him. But now we know it was Trudeau all along. And now that we know that, well, Karina Gould insists that he, too, resign, like she insisted Rota resign. So, really, three of the worst cabinet ministers in Canada, Yara, Hong Kong, Sachs, Marcy, Sex Chat, Ian, and Karina, Nazi Salute, Gould. It's absolutely unsurprising that these mediocre ministers thought they could bully rebel news. Imagine being a powerful cabinet minister with with a huge salary and a limousine and a chauffeur, but more importantly, with all the power of the government, but still you feel the need psychologically to abuse journalists you don't like. Well, not on my watch. As you can see in the order, just like the order we got against Stephen Gilbo, these cabinet ministers are ordered by the federal court never again to block us for the rest of their careers as MPs for Yara Sachs. Now, that likely means just one more year since she's surely going to lose her election, but... Here's what the court order says anyways. I'll read it. At any time, while the Honorable Marcy Ian, the Honorable Yara Sachs, and the Honorable Karina Gould remain members of Parliament, they shall not block or permit anyone acting on their behalf to block the accounts on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, or any successor platforms as specified below. And then they list who uh, was blocking whom, and if they break that order, they're in contempt of court. Now, because these three lovely ladies immediately capitulated to us rather than fighting us for two years like Stephen Gilboa did, they only had to pay us and were only ordered to pay us $1,750 for our costs, which again didn't reflect all of our costs, but still, they have to pay it. Although I'm pretty sure that just like Stephen Gilboa, they'll foist that cost on taxpayers. But again, it shows how awful these politicians are. Slowly but surely, we are going to break the Trudeau government of their nasty censorship habit if we have to sue every bloody one of them. Blocking us on Twitter is one of the pettier ways they censor Canadians. As you know, Twitter feeds are filled with government announcements and policies, and it's where ordinary Canadians have the right to reply back to cabinet ministers directly. It's a government service like visiting a government office, but more high-tech, but we've now done it so many times. It's easy and fast and relatively economical for us to sue. But we have much bigger censorship fights against the government, much more costly. They take other forms. For example, the worst was when liberal bodyguards physically attacked our journalists. I, I expect we will file a lawsuit against the government over their assault of David Menzies. I think we'll probably file that in the next week or two. We're just finalizing it now. 
We have other censorship lawsuits too, including perhaps our most important one, Trudeau's policy of having government staff reviewing media outlets like ours before granting a so-called journalism license, the QCJO license, Qualified Canadian Journalism Organization. That's how Trudeau plans to promote propaganda outlets like the CBC and demote and throttle independent outlets like ours. But that's a story for another day. For today, join with me in celebrating the humbling of three arrogant, authoritarian Trudeau cabinet ministers. It's a small victory, but it is a victory. To see the court order for yourself, and maybe you want to save it as your screensaver or something like that to be reminded of it. If you want to help us fight Trudeau's censorship, visit twitterlawsuit.ca. Thanks. Welcome back. You know, the government of Canada has a huge office complex for its members of parliament and senators to meet. It's called Parliament. And Parliament isn't just the beautiful center block with the Peace Tower that we're so used to looking at. It's Parliament is a sprawling area, the parliamentary area, with the East Block and the West Block and the Confederation Block and the Wellington Block. And there's so many buildings that are owned by the government. And that's just Ottawa, of course, across the river in Gatineau, Quebec, and Hull, Quebec, and around the country. In fact, in many countries, in many, in many cities across Canada, the most audacious, the most imposing building is the federal government building. And I mention all of that because why does Justin Trudeau have to take his cabinet on a retreat to some new tourist spot every few months? The answer is obvious because they're not there to work. They want to enjoy the beautiful resorts of this country. And I Talk about this because I see news today that the true costs of Cabinet's recent retreat to beautiful Prince Edward Island are revealed. And remember, the Cabinet's only about 40 or 50 people. It's not the whole caucus, as they say. These are just the ministers. So there's only about 40 or 50 of them. So how is it even possible? And I'm going to bring in our next guest in a moment, and you'll see why when I tell you this shocking detail. How is it possible for a cabinet with about 40-odd members in it to have a banquet costing $52,000? What? Did they buy the restaurant or just rent it for the night? And that is just one of a dozen shocking facts about the way Trudeau lives on your tax dollars. Joining me now, of course, to talk about this is our friend Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Franco, when I look at these stats, I just can't help but start to break it down per person. And that's like a thousand bucks a person. I'm not saying that there weren't one or two staffers there also, but even if you had 500 people there, and there weren't, it, it's not 500, even if you had 200 people there, what are they eating? What are they eating and drinking for $52,000 and then their hotel bills? Franco, give me the bad news. Well, I'll give you the bad news, okay? So this three-day cabinet retreat, it's a getaway, a three-day getaway in beautiful Charlottetown. 
cost taxpayers four hundred and eighty-five thousand bucks. How? Almost how? Half how? how? I know, I know, I know. It's it, like how do you even rack up that type of bill, right? Almost half a million dollars, all paid for by taxpayers for a three-day retreat of Trudeau and his cabinet minister. So let me break down the cost, right? Because it, we got this big government document records back, and it it has these vague descriptions and items, right? So hotels more than a hundred thousand bucks uh meals and incidentals they say twenty two thousand dollars now on the records that had this category listed as quote banquet yeah. and that showed fifty two thousand dollars but ezra i gotta give you some breaking news because this is happening right now an unnamed pco staff is saying that whoa, whoa hold up folks we didn't actually have a banquet uh, for whatever reason, in the records, it was called a banquet, but that was for like general catering over the three day trip. OK, as if that makes this any better, that they spent tens of thousands of dollars on 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 food and incidentals and hospitality. And then the entire bill of about five hundred thousand dollars to the taxpayer for a three day retreat. So the PCO, I think they think they're trying to make things better, saying, well, no, 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 it wasn't just one banquet. Um, it was, you know, general catering, food, incidentals, hospitality. But at the end of the day, it was a three-day trip costing taxpayers 500,000 smackers. You know, and again, I just can't stop doing the math here. $100,000 for the hotels. And, I mean, buying a hotel room in Charlottetown is probably cheaper than buying one in uh, New York City, Hong Kong, Singapore, like that. So a hundred thousand dollars again there are fewer than 50 cabinet ministers that's that works out to two thousand bucks per cabinet minister and, I, and again i acknowledge that there would be some assistance in there i just like i didn't know there was a place in prince edward island that cost that much like i i just i mean that's actually the one province i've never been to where, like, do you know where they were staying? D did the host just jack up the price by tenfold because they saw, oh, a fool in his money or soon party? Here comes Trudeau. They'll spend anything, add a zero to the price tag. I can't believe a hundred thousand bucks was paid for hotels in in Charlottetown. I just, I'm stunned by that. Well, well, one of the things that just doesn't add up is, well, how many staff, how many bureaucrats, how many people did they fly into this thing, right? Because as you're kind of alluding to, uh, when they're spending taxpayers' money, the price tag just doesn't seem to be a concern for this government. But let me add another element to the story here, right? Because this three-day retreat was supposed to be about tackling the affordability crisis, right? That's what they say. Yeah. Well, um, a couple things. I mean, number one, it seems like this government's only plan, so-called, to tackle affordability is just to crisscross all around the country, spend thousands of taxpayers' dollars at the low end, and just talk with each other. But like to your earlier point, I mean, there's offices in Ottawa. Everyone has access to Zoom or Skype. So how in the world does a three-day cabinet retreat end up costing Canadian taxpayers $500,000 thereabouts? And even beyond that, like, look, we don't need these politicians to be flying across the country, spending hundreds of thousands of Canadian taxpayers' money to make life more affordable. No, no, no. All we need them to do is just stop raising the taxes that are making life more expensive. Carbon tax, folks, April 1, going up. Alcohol taxes, folks, April 1, also going up. Not to mention the year-after-year -year carbon tax and payroll tax hikes that are taking more money out of your wallet and making everything more expensive. 
Yeah. You know, they they have they don't just have regular meetings. They like to give it fancy titles, retreat, summit. So they have a crime summit. They have an inflation summit, a grocery pricing summit. And summit is just, they love summits because a summit is fancy travel to a fancy hotel with fancy meals, fancy, 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 uh, a press conference, and then patting themselves on the back. But I, I note in your recent release on the taxpayer.com website, you refer to the fact that their last retreat was in Vancouver and it costs just under three hundred thousand dollars, two hundred seventy-five grand. So again, that's astonishing. That's outrageous. It, again, it was done in the name of anti-inflation. But this goes to my earlier point. Vancouver is actually an expensive city. It's a large city. It's a, it's it's one of the most expensive cities in Canada. In fact, how can you spend two hundred seventy-five grand in Vancouver, but you're spending almost double that in Charlottetown? I think there's some monkey business, and I think it's fair to ask. Who was the hotel? Are they liberal donors? Were there any hidden costs in here? Did everyone bring their wives and girlfriends or both? Like, I just think that there are shenanigans afoot here. And you know, it was bad enough in regular times, but given the despairing situation of so many Canadians because of the cost of living, I think there's something super gross about blowing half a mil on a summit for cost of living. Last, last word to you, Franco. Canadians are struggling with the price of hamburger meat. The feds draw 500K on affordability getaway. Canadians are worried about rising mortgage payments. The feds drop half a million on a three-day getaway. Canadians are worried about whether or not they can afford to fuel up their car to get their kids to hockey practice. The feds drop half a mil on a three-day cabinet retreat. Uh, it's it's It really is quite a distinction, isn't it, folks? They spend, you pay, and, you know, this is just extremely tone-deaf and extremely unacceptable. That That's all there is to say about this, I think. There you have it, Franco Terrazano from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Thanks for your good work, my friend. We'll keep in touch. Hey, we got a letter for you today. DF says, there's nothing more depressing than clicking on the Ezra LeVan show to see someone other than you doing the show. That's how good my life is. Well, listen, first of all, I'm really grateful when my colleagues do the show for me. And and often it's because I'm detained, uh, not by law enforcement, I should make that clear, but either I'm, I'm doing an unusual travel or yesterday, I actually, not to be alarmed, I did have a minor medical reason for not being here, but I'm in fit as a fiddle. So I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm considering going to Lethbridge tomorrow because I hear that two of the four Cooch four um, suspects have pled guilty to minor charges, not quite minor, but they'll both be released. Um, I'm tempted to go to Lethbridge for that, although there really won't be anything going on in Lethbridge. Um, so if I'm traveling, sometimes I can do journalism on the road that we use on the show, but I appreciate the compliment and I want to stand up for my guest hosts who really do me a favor by pitching in. It's a point of pride for me that we do the show even when I'm unavailable. And we, as you know, we also do the show on stat holidays, don't we? We pre-record one. So it's something I try and do, and I'm very sensitive to when I'm away because I, I want to give you value for your money. Um, I'm torn in different directions, as you know. Sometimes I feel like going into the field to report, and sometimes I know I've got to be here. And then every once in a while, I do have a dentist or a doctor's appointment or something that takes me away. But thanks uh, for your... I, I know that's a backhanded compliment, so I accept it. Thank you. That's our show for today. 
Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. I'm here in Camaro, Texas, at the Cornerstone Children Ranch. And behind me, this is the Take Our Border Back convoy. So a lot of patriots across the country came all the way down here to bring awareness of what is going on with the southern border. As you may know, Greg Abbott have decided to fight back against what he called a lawless policies of Joe Biden. Joe Biden and his abject refusal to enforce the immigration laws of the United States of America. So before I show you the full video, I invite you to go to our special website that is texasborderreport.com. On this website, you can see our report, but you can also donate generously. So today, I wanted to ask those people why Canadians should be aware and concerned about the southern border. and. Also, why do they think Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden make it so easier for the people to cross over illegally? Let's check the thoughts of the people. To think that they can't spill over into Canada is foolish. It's just as easy. Once they get in the United States, there's nothing but soft targets. It's bad down here, and they don't want to live down here. They want to move into the interior and own up into the north. It's a global phenomenon. The same thing is occurring in Europe. The same thing is occurring in Canada. Well, uh, it's pretty important because uh, we don't know who's coming and they infiltrated here. It's not going to stop just here. They're already shipping them to New York City, Chicago, uh, all the northern states. And if they're going there, they they're easily can go to Canada. Y'all aren't doing very well right now in the way of your government and how a lot of the things we had in America you used to have and now that's being taken away from you. What can be the problems that can occur in Canada if there is the same kind of illegal crossing? Well, it can be an uh, increase on crime, an uh, increase on uh, uh, many things, you know, uh, inflation and uh, homelessness. That's one of the reasons. And also, uh, they use the tax money uh, in order to uh, uh, provide for those people. You're going to have people that do not have jobs. They're going to keep on migrating up. Because once they're in the U.S., they're free, okay? Then they're gonna go up to Canada, no jobs. Yeah, I need to get rid of Trudeau for one thing. You lose legal control, you lose fiscal control, you overwhelm your infrastructure. Not everybody that's coming through the border is, is a good person, first of all. You know, there's people that are running away from the law in these other countries. There's, like I said, there's serial killers that are coming. Poor political policy from city to city and state to state on top of illegal immigration, on top of lax crime bills, on top of uh, poor political decisions. That creates the high crime and all those issues. Justin Trudeau is acting a little bit like Joe Biden. They make it easier for illegals to cross over. We're going to continue uh, to be the open, welcoming, prosperous and growing country we've always been. Why do you think they do that? Well, there's uh, many people who's doing these uh, corporations and people in power in order to pro uh, somebody's profiting from it. You know, from cheap labor and corporations, banks. 
There was always people coming across illegally, but not like this. Never, never has it ever been like this. Maybe they, their grand plan was to get all these people in here um, and enable them to vote so they can keep control of the nation. I think they have the anticipation that needy people who come here or, or people who come here from um, more collectivist societies are going to be more willing to vote for Democrats in the future. Because they're globalist puppets. They're globalist puppets. They, they want this new world order of, uh, you know, everybody in the same pot, you know, one government, you know. They want the people to depend on the government solely. So what can I recommend to Canadians? Keep fighting the way I know you guys have spirit to fight like American patriots do. Because I've seen it, and you guys inspired us two years ago. This convoy wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Canadians. It's not going to stop just with us, you know. If, if it comes, it's coming through the south, right? But it, it's going to make its way north. So I would be more concerned, you know, because it's just a matter of time, guys.